Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of Get Booked is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, and you can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. And with Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. So if you're new to audiobooks, they're a great way to get more books into your busy life. And if you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, you can check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. So listeners of Get Booked can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. And with each listen, you can take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 172, and we are recording on March 12th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Good morning. Hello. That's it. That's all I've got. That's all i got. I know. <laughs> I'm I'm show. Talk to y'all later. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. My trip with the flu. Everything here is crazy. Yeah, and I'm getting over a cold that just like... I feel fine, but the congestion won't go away. It's super annoying. It's extra annoying because it's March. Like it's March yeah. and it's nice outside. And why? <laughs> well, I will tell you. So the first weekend of March here in Philly, we had a snowstorm mm. and I happened to be looking at time hop and like, it was exactly the thing I had posted on my Instagram a year ago was a video of snow falling with the caption, like it's March question mark. <laughs> yeah. So Apparently, like early March snowstorms are super normal, but it still feels wrong every time. Also, I was I forgot about daylight savings. (laughs) And so my Sunday was kind of a mess because I went from thinking like I was going to a party and I was making cookies and I was like, I have an hour and a half. And then I looked at a correct clock and was like, I have half an hour. Like this is this is not going to happen. Time to drive to the grocery store bakery. Yeah, I mean, I just was a half an hour late is what oh. happened. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. So what are you reading? Cookies. <laughs> cookies. Um, cookies. I am reading. So I'm doing another buddy read with Madud, And we are reading On Trails, mm. an exploration by Robert Moore, which I found when we did a bookstore tour of L.A. Um, I think I found it at the last bookstore. It has a really beautiful sort of subtle cover. But it's a whole book about, like, it's both a little bit of personal memoir, like this guy has hiked the Appalachian Trail and like gone over the, all over the globe and, you know, done all these different hiking things. And he was like, what? Like, what are trails? Like, what is what is the definition of a trail? How do trails happen? And so he does a deep dive into like ant trails <laughs> and like awesome. animals and how trails form and like what is exactly the definition of a trail and how does it relate to philosophy and religion and spirituality and nature and science and all of these things. Um, and like there's a cool section where he's looking at like pre-Cambrian rocks and like trails formed by like weird creatures from our past and just it's really super interesting. So it is. It's one 
one of those like deep dives into a single topic that then gets very universal, which I always like. So do recommend. What about you? Um, I am reading America is in the Heart by Carlos Bulasan, um, which is like a classic of Filipino American literature. It was published in the 40s. Um, Bulasan was a migrant worker who came over from the Philippines in the like the early 30s, I think, um, to the West Coast, you know, to like do the better life in America thing. And it didn't quite work out that way. Um, and so he ended up becoming an author and an intellectual and like a labor organizer. Um, and was one of the first Asian Americans to publish in the U S which I thought was really interesting. And I've just like put off reading it for forever. Um, and I finally picked it up and yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't want to say it's great because it's very sad and like violent. Um, but it is engaging. <laughs> it's like so hard to describe. I'm enjoying the reading experience of this very yeah. difficult subject matter. <laughs> kind of embarrassed. I've never heard of it. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, oh, what's her name? Elaine Castillo, is it? She wrote America is Not the Heart, and it was one of the morning news's um, first rounds of the Tournament of Books this year. Oh. And it was like a big, splashy book from last year, uh, and it, it's like based on this. And that's how I, I hadn't heard about it either until I picked up America is Not the Heart, which I haven't started yet. I just bought it. And I read the introduction and was like, oh, oh nice. this is based on a classic of literature written by my people that I have never heard of. That awesome. Great. Anyway, um, okay, so how the show works. This is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you are looking for a reading rec for yourself or your book club or a gift for someone or whatever, you can ask us and we will answer you. <laughs> you can email us your question to getbooktobookriot.com or you can drop your question in the form, which is in the show notes on the site. If you email us and your question is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line. If you use the form, put it in big letters at the beginning of the question so we can answer you on time. Um, if we're not going to get to your question on time, or if we've already answered something similar to what you're asking, then we will email you back instead of answering you on the show. So um, keep a lookout for that. And we've now added a form for you to drop your Goodreads profile. If you have that um, in, in the show notes, like in the form of the show notes, you can drop your Goodreads profile there so we can make sure we're not recommending you something that you have already read and so we can get a better idea of what you like. So that's been really helpful. I really like having mm -hmm. people's Goodreads um, links. Okay. So a few bits of uh, feedback here from Barry. He's responding to episode 168 uh, when Jessica asked for illuminated books that were like not just words on a page, but had additional stuff to them. And Barry recommends A Line Made by Walking by Sarah Baum. In it, the narrator, who's a former art student, tests herself, he's quoting that, tests herself with works of contemporary art. This is used as a device for the character to deal with anxiety, but the works and the protagonist's analysis of them increasingly offer... Uh, deeper insight into her thoughts and feelings. The images of the works aren't in it, but it's got lists of works reference, and you can um, go look those up, and it adds a nice, you know, contemporary art theory dimension to your reading. Uh, we also have feedback from Andrea, who has a recommendation for the questioner who is looking for Agatha Christie crime-solving duo um, books, and Andrea recommends the Lady Hardcastle series. Cozy Mysteries, they're not married, but the crime-solving team is a lady and her maid that go off inside it's full of puns and witty banter which is the best mysteries are full of puns and witty banter in my opinion mm -hmm. which is correct okay <laughs> <laughs> uh question one i'm going to read us question one i'm also going to talk about our first sponsor and then i'm going to stop talking um okay our first question is from tj who says i'm traveling solo in italy for two weeks in the end of march i always like to bring two books along i was hoping you might have some recommendations for books that might be page turning and addictive uh several directives here my directives are as such Two publications, uh, at least one of which I like fiction. Historical nonfiction is also great. 
nothing super long or heavy because of you know traveling and weight. Um, fan of the first person narrative, love semi classics like Herman Hesse, Emil Zola, and Hemingway. Uh, I love a story that's somewhat of an adventure. The plot can range from realism to fantasy. Really, what I'm looking for is something I can't put down. Okay, well, we will get to that in just a second. Our first sponsor is Nurex. This is so interesting. I have gotten Instagram ads for this company before, and I've always been like, mm. oh, I'd like to check that out. Um, but now I feel like this is a sign <laughs> that I actually should. Okay, so Nurex. Uh, imagine, if you will, a world in which you could chat with your doctors anytime from your phone, get online prescriptions, and get your birth control delivered to your door every month with automatic refills. So this is end-to-end care without having to you know, leave your house. Fewer doctor visits. You don't have to stand in line at the pharmacy. You don't have to like, you're no more forgetting to pick up your refill, which I do literally every single month. Um, (laughs) If you don't have insurance, it's a super affordable option. If you do have insurance, it's likely that your uh, birth control will be totally free. So you just go to their website or app and answer a few health questions for the doctors. There's over 50 brands of birth control. So you can choose your go-to or the medical team will help you find the best option for you. And this is all like secure and HIPAA compliant. So go to nurex.com slash booked. That's N-U-R-X.com slash booked for a $20 credit and get birth control at your doorstep in less than a week. That's pretty awesome. So thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay, Jen, you go. Yes. Okay. So uh, fiction, shorter, page turners, something like Hesse, Zola, Hemingway, or Murakami and Tom Robbins. (laughs) This is a really interesting question. I thought a lot about this question. And I picked Spaceman of Bohemia by Yaroslav Kalfar. Um, This is, and this is not a page turner in the sense that like the plot is so like, you know, like linear and action-y. It's more along the Murakami and Tom Robbins lines. And so the page turningness is you're like, what is going on? (laughs) Like what is happening? Um, So this is about a man named Jacob who is uh, the Czech, like the Czech Republic's first astronaut. Um, and he there's like a a big weird cloud in space that everybody on earth is trying to figure out like what the heck is this thing like is it what is it um and so all across the world you know countries are scrambling to be the first to send a mission into the cloud to collect samples and um analyze them and figure out like what exactly this galactic phenomenon is um and so somehow like the Czech Republic gets their first like huge you know huge country everybody comes together and the corporations get involved in the governments and it's like this huge national undertaking um for pride of place and he is selected to go and And he is, you know, trained and ready. There are some catches, of course. He has um, a wife that he is leaving behind, but he's always dreamed of going into outer space. And so, you know, he's definitely like up for the challenge. He gets up there and either has an encounter with a weird alien spider or is losing his mind. Hmm. who knows what is happening and that's where the book like starts to get super weird and you get a couple timelines here you get him like in space possibly losing his mind possibly having an alien encounter and you get his backstory which is really sad and rough um his parents were communist informers this all takes place in like pseudo present day so his parents were communist informers um or his father was and he was raised by his grandparents and he has a lot of like childhood baggage and political baggage um and also is struggling with this you know being far away from his wife and only limited communications with her and like is 
she she's having a hard time with the separation and you know what's going to happen there um and it's just it really is a banana pants plot line like halfway through you're like i don't even know where this is going anymore like what on <laughs> earth is happening here um but it's so interesting and it's so moving and there are just so many moments that feel so timely because of the politics that he's discussing um so it's got a big beating heart it's also very like intellectually interesting and the plot is really just sort of engrossing and fascinating and weird. Um, so I feel like, and it is an adventure and it does have, you know, fantastical elements as well as real elements. So I think that you will dig this one. It is under 300 pages um, and it is in paperback. So it should be easy enough to carry around. So again, that's Spaceman of Bohemia by Jaroslav Kalfar. Okay, I maybe, this is maybe a little on the nose for you, but I'm going with it. I picked A Room with a View by E.M. Forster, which um, I picked this one because you said you like semi-classics. It's a little bit earlier than the examples that you listed, um, but also it takes place in Italy. And in the book, Italy is very much like a metaphor for living your best life, which I feel like is a nice thing to be reading when you're, you know, traveling solo for two weeks in a beautiful place. Um, so the main plot here is it's about a, a woman named Lucy who is, you know, she lives in Edwardian England. She's very middle class um, and boring, boring. She's boring, middle class Lucy from England. Like this is who she is. And she goes on <laughs> vacation uh, with her cousin Charlotte, who's like her um, chaperone. They go on vacation to Italy, to Florence. And in there, I almost just legitimately just said in their Airbnb. That's not a thing. That's not real. What's happening in a room with a view? In their hotel um, is the Emersons. Along the Emersons are a father and son who are very like unconventional, weird, and they're not they're not like proper middle class people. They're like goofy, artsy, quirky folk. Um, there's also like a romance novelist is staying in this hotel. It's very much like a group of of oddballs. Um, and Lucy and Charlotte kind of take up with these folks, and they travel around Florence together. They go on picnics. They, you know, go exploring all the beautiful architecture and um, all that kind of thing that one does in the early 20th century as a tourist in um, Italy. And she, Lucy, along the way, gets like more and more confused. She starts becoming attracted to George, who's like the younger Emerson, um, and everything he represents, which is, you know, like I said, living your best life. Like you're in Italy and he's cute and he has weird ideas about art and politics and he is interesting and like says stuff that no one's ever said to her before. And then the second half of the book, she goes back home to England to her, wait for it, fiance. Uh oh, Cecil. Of course, his name is Cecil. Cecil. Um, and so it's this like struggle, right? Like in her, you know, heart of hearts, does she want to do this, become this person that she felt like she was becoming while she was in Italy, this like adventurous and romantic and spontaneous person? Or is she going to just live? in England with Cecil <laughs> forever. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, it's not an adventure necessarily, but it's surprisingly page turnery. Um, I don't think that you'll be able to put it down, especially if you're in Italy and like you're, you're seeing some of the same sites. If you're going to Florence at all, if you're seeing some of the same sites that Lucy is visiting, um, even if you're not like going to like that specific church or museum or whatever, um, Forster was really, really great at writing Italy as a character. So I think that, it's like a, it's a nice companion to what you're doing. So that's Room with a View by E.M. Forster. 
Nice. All right. Our next question is from Cal, who says, maybe you can help me find something in a very narrow niche. One of my favorite movies is Romeo and Juliet from 1996, and I've been craving for something that plays to that star-crossed lover's throne in neon splendor, uh, something that has city grit feel to it, but also the greasy, dreamy quality and moments of awe and heartbreak. I would love something to rip my heart out, both with the characters, their love story, and the descriptions. Something lush, a little silly, and utterly beautiful and sprawling. This is asking for a lot. I know. I would love it to be LGBT. No YA or graphic novels, please. Fantasy and magic are encouraged but not required. This is such a specific question. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to tell you Mm -hmm. that... You're ruling out YA is, is, is I think, yeah, I was just gonna say, I think it's a little bit of a mistake because there are so many books in YA that do this and that I, th- and Romeo and Juliet, let's not forget, is a YA story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would I would encourage you to open up, but I did find you something that I think comes close. It is not LGBT. Sorry, sorry. Um, but it has that rock and roll drama, magic, love stuff in it. Um, it's War for the Oaks by Emma Bull. This is a fantasy novel from like the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I read it a million times when I was a kid and it's one of my favorites. And I do think it has some of that same like Boslerman feel to it. Um, it's about a young woman named Eddie McCandry who lives like in Minneapolis and she's a singer in a band. Um, but she's breaking up with her terrible boyfriend and he's also in the band. So that means the band is broken up too. And her life is just kind of falling apart. And so she's walking home one night through the city And she, like, has an encounter with what turns out to be a fairy and gets drafted into a war between the fair folk. And they literally need artists, like human artists, one on each side to be part of their war. So, and she turns out to have, like, a gift, like a musical gift that can make sort of literal magic happen, not just figurative magic. And that's why they've picked her. And so the book goes, and then she starts to put together a new band. And then also she is like getting dragged into like the fae, like politics and shenanigans. Um, And she, you know, meets a very handsome elf, but that doesn't go how you think it's going to go. And it's just a really... It is so rock and roll. I mean, the whole thing is about a musician and there are regular descriptions of her like playing and the set lists. And it's such an audio visual experience. I have uh, I have a playlist on Spotify of the songs from this book because like that's how much it's ingrained into my brain. Um, And it does have like the drama and the romance and the magic and all of that stuff. The glitz, the glitz and the glam is really in here. And I did get very attached to the characters and the love story story is not the one you think it's going to be which is really neat i love when that happens um and yeah it's just it's just so much fun it's just so much fun and i think it holds up pretty well actually um and uh yeah there's there's just that vibe is there so uh again that's war for the oaks by emma bull uh i'm gonna co-sign the you should read more ya (laughs) kind of thing because the actual answer to this question is everything anna marie macklemore writes Mm because all she writes is greasy dreamy neon queer romance they're just teenagers but so are romeo and juliet so i don't know um but i did find you an adult uh novel for this but i had to ask because like i couldn't think of anything that wasn't ya so i asked the contributors and our contributor kathleen recommended as meat loves salt by maria mccann which i will give you just all the trigger warnings for 
um, violence of pretty much every, it's super violent. It's just super violent. It takes place in the 17th century during the English Revolution. And the main character's name is Jacob. Um, he's a soldier. And during this, you know, time of a lot of like religious and political fomenting, um, there's, there's violence, there's a lot of terror in the streets and in people's homes. And Jacob himself is, um, I don't want to say he's a sociopath. He's just, he's a, he's a really violent, angry character. And his, the, and the, the pale, the pale, the tale, um, follows him and like the love of his life, who is a, another soldier. This is, I don't want to call it a romance novel because it's, um, but it is about the, quote unquote, you know, forbidden love between this complete sociopath and this like much nicer, normal person, normal man who he um, is like obsessed with, like in love with and obsessed with. Um, I read a bunch of reviews for this on Goodreads and almost all of them were like, this is the most messed up, erotic, passionate, messed up thing I've ever read. And I think all of that stands and is accurate. But it has that like, forbidden star-crossed this is not going to end well for anyone kind of love thing that Romeo and Juliet has but it's also very violent and like Romeo and Juliet everyone dies so I don't think that um it's a stretch to say that a book about uh a violence that isn't just between two families but is between you know in a it takes over an entire nation I don't know that that's like too much of a stretch and it has that very dark um greasy like I took Greasy to be a little bit different because in the movie version of Romeo and Juliet, it's mostly about Leonardo DiCaprio's hair, if we're being real. Um, but <laughs> in this, it's like the streets. <laughs> it is. It's Burn. Gross. His hair in that movie is scary to me. Uh, but it's like the street, like the setting, you know, like ugh, everything is greasy and dirty and grimy and ugh, but also you can't stop reading it and everyone's in love, but they're so mean to each other. And it's just so, I don't know, engrossing and odd. And I think... Sounds like a stretch, but I think it's a good Romeo and Juliet comp. So that's As Meat Loves Salt by Maria McCann. Oh, Leo. Okay, question three (laughs) is from Bobby, who says, I would love to expand my reading repertoire to include more books in translation. I'd appreciate some fiction recs that will immerse me in the lives and cultures of diverse people and places, particularly areas that we might not hear about often in the U.S. I enjoy most genres as long as the writing is engaging and the stories are interesting. I'm sensitive to any books that involve harm to animals and prefer to avoid stories like that. Other than that, I have no trigger warnings. Okay, Jen, what do you have? I continue to have my favorite translation <laughs> novel of the last year because, well, I had actually Amanda's pick, but she got to oh, it sorry. first, so it's okay. <laughs> um, so I am recommending Disoriental by Nagar Javadi, translated by Tina Cover. If you've listened to the show before, you might have heard me recommend it. It's so good. Um, and I think it gets exactly sort of what you're looking for, um, stories we may not hear about often uh, lives and cultures of diverse people and places um, in really good writing. Oh, so good. Um, It is about a young woman who, well, you get a couple of her, life timelines. Um, But Kimia is uh, Iranian and she and her family fled Iran at the age of 10 um, to join her father in France uh, because of the political upheaval um, and persecutions. And now she's 25 um, in France and is like getting ready to have a kid and, you know, is in a like relationship and is trying to figure out like how to be an adult, basically, um, and sort of unpacking all of her baggage from her childhood and uh, from being an immigrant um, and, you know, how she's treated in in Paris. And and you get sort of this 
this uh, present day view, but then also flashbacks to her childhood. And then even farther back, um, sort of you get the family lore. So you get these generation, this generational view, even though you only are really following Kimia. Um, and it's, it's just so well done. It's really moving. It is really sad. I mean, you can imagine because obviously the situation in Iran uh, was really rough. And from a, from a child's perspective, especially like this is really terrifying and scary. Um, and uh and then you know balanced out with this like what is it like to be an immigrant and an exile and all of those questions in in a european city so i think it will really suck you in um it's such a fascinating story it's a great queer story it's a really important you know look i think at this at the middle east like there's all kinds of reasons you should read this book but like mostly just i mean it's just an amazing novel so again that's disoriental by nagar javadi uh translated by tina cover Okay, I picked just the weirdest book I've read in like a minute, like (laughs) several minutes. It's called Tentacle. It's by Rita Indiana, and it's translated by Atio Bejas. Um, And this is from And Other Stories, which is an independent press that I really, really love. And I think last year they only published books in translation by women. Is that right? I think it was them. Like they were the only publisher to take up the mantle. Um, if, If that's wrong, somebody please correct me. But anyway, so this is just... It's a tiny little book. It's like 150 pages. And it's like if China Mieville wrote a really queer Dominican version of 12 Monkeys that was about like climate change. It's just bizarre. Um, So it's like near future and it takes place in Santo Domingo, mostly in the Dominican Republic. And in this near future version of um, the world, chemical warfare has happened, like biological warfare has happened and all this pollution. And so the ocean around the Dominican Republic is dead and it's spreading like that death is spreading. And so we're creeping closer and closer to the end times basically for humanity. And the only salvation that humanity could possibly have is this maid who works for a um, Yoruba priestess who is the like spiritual advisor to the current dictator current in the time of this book, not like right now, (laughs) Um, current dictator of the Dominican Republic and the maid um, is supposed to be like the person who's going to save everyone from ecological disaster by traveling in time with the magical sea anemone. And like, that sounds ridiculous. And it is so completely ridiculous, but it works. And you, you're, you like are rooting for this kid. Um, and it's, there's a lot like, there's voodoo. There's a lot of, um, Oh, what is it? Like contemporary art criticism, all of this. It's like really super punk rock and it's packed into, 150 pages and it has that 12 monkeys thing of like you're watching this character go back and forth in time and you start to get or at least this was my experience watching 12 monkeys you start to get wrapped up in that paradox of like if this person hadn't traveled back in time then they never would have done x and then this wouldn't have happened and they never would have had the opportunity to travel back in time so you're doing that like your brain is running on that hamster wheel right while you're also trying to like (laughs) figure out what indiana is talking about when it comes to like contemporary art criticism and socialism and politics and like being queer in the Dominican Republic and what that's like. And like all of this is all happening at the same time, very much like, wait for it, tentacles of thought. Ayo. Thank you. Ayo. I'll be here all week. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> it's it's like climate change fiction, science fiction, weird. Awesome. It's just so great. You could read it in a sitting and you should, because it is very much like once you stop, you're going to look up days and be like, what did I just do? Like, what, what was that experience? So that's Tentacle by Rita Indiana. 
by Achi Obe, or no, by Rita Indiana, translated by Achi Obe House. Yeah, cosine all of that. I read the whole thing on a plane. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, I was just like, why? I am in this to win it. Um, and it's really, really good. Uh, that one gets a tr- trigger warning for rape, oh, thank by you. the way. Yeah, yeah no problem. Um, okay, so our next question is from Lauren, who says, I would love to find a great book to read next, and I'm completely overwhelmed by my TBR. My most recent favorites are The Unseen World and If We Were Villains. I also love authors Hannah Kent and Celeste I'm currently reading Washington Black and I'm loving it so far. Um, so I, looking at sort of the intersections of your favorites, decided that you were interested in like uncovering secrets plot lines. Ooh. I just decided that. Um, maybe that's not true, but that's what I decided. Um, and that you were also comfortable with a little like fantasy slash science fiction, you know, tendencies, maybe not 100% realistic. I looked at your Goodreads, too. Um, And so I'm recommending to you a book that just came out recently and that I really loved. It's a debut novel. It's The Psychology of Time Travel by Kate Mascarenas. Um, And this is they've been pitching it as like hidden figures plus time travel. And that's not too far off. Like it, unlike hidden figures, all of the characters in this are not women of color but there are quite a few um and the plot is is that in the 60s in england um i think like cornwall uh maybe there are four female scientists working together to build a time machine and they do like they it's like surprising little muss and fuss like they just build it like that's where the story opens is they've done it um and then they're so they're go- about to go public and one of them has a breakdown like a like a mental breakdown on live tv um probably triggered by all of the time travel that they were doing to lead up to the announcement to like verify how it works um and so because and and one of the other members of the team is like the super like imperious like very pragmatic and sort of ruthless woman is like we cannot jeopardize the future of our discovery with like this you know stigma about it making people crazy so they sort of write this other woman out of the narrative and like sideline her and don't let her have any of the like resulting they don't have let her have any involvement going through it um and then 50 years later time travel has evolved to like the point where they're basically like self-governing and it's you know all time travel is controlled by this one or organization that's still headed by this ruthless woman um and the woman who was sidelined uh her grandmother her granddaughter excuse me ruby is a psychologist and sort of gets sucked into a thing where suddenly time travelers are popping in and out of her life and she's starting to like find out that there's more to her grandmother's history than she was aware of and there's a murder and a body and an unidentified person a woman and like in a toy museum and you're like what is going on (laughs) and it's it's really fascinating because the book does jump around between a lot of different characters and a lot of different moments in time and I think it's handled pretty well like I did not really feel lost at any moment I was definitely just like I'm not sure how this is gonna fit in but I'm along for the ride um I will say it had moments of like expositioniness that I didn't love but on the whole it's really really smart and interesting and and like totally all about just like unwinding this tangled spool of 
of you know, events and people and personalities to uncover these dark secrets at the heart of the plot. And I think that that, you know, is the thing that it seems like you love. And I think you'll really dig how this all unfolds. It definitely went in directions that I was not expecting. And it was so interesting to get like a really intensely female focused time travel story that involves like STEM and, you know, government stuff and is just like, I, th- I don't think there's a single male narrator in the whole book. Oh. Like, it's all ladies. Yeah, it's super interesting. Super interesting. And like I said, there's women of color. There's queer women. Like, it's very inclusive. Um, and I just thought it was fascinating and really interesting. I think you'll get sucked in, too. So, again, that's The Psychology of Time Travel by Kate Mascarenas. Okay, so my pick is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I noticed that a lot of, not a lot, some of the ones that you recommended loving recently were historical fiction. And this is not historical fiction, but it is about someone's life, like starting in the 50s. So you get a lot of that kind of um, like cultural norms and talking about societal stuff from the past while being narrated by a really, really engaging narrator. So The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is about a really reclusive, super famous like Hollywood icon named wait for it Evelyn Hugo who has decided now that she's in her I think she's 79 when the book opens um has decided to hold this huge auction to sell most of her most famous gowns uh in order to raise money for cancer awareness and in order to promote that she's giving a an interview one of the first interviews she's done in decades to a reporter named Monique and Monique is the narrator Monique is kind of a mess. Like her husband has recently left her. Her her job as a journalist is not going the way that she wants it to. She's 35 and like nothing is going her way. And she is also a nobody. So she's like super confused by why this extremely famous Elizabeth Taylor type star wants to tell her life story to her. But she's like going to do it because okay. (laughs) So you she goes to Evelyn Hugo's house, which is of course this like beautiful Manhattan apartment overlooking Central Park. And Evelyn starts to tell her her life story, of course, being centered around why has she had seven husbands? Um, And Evelyn is fascinating. She's supposed to be this like, just beauty of the ages, you know, she immigrated from Cuba. So she's tan and she's got this blonde hair, super, super thin, married to a million people, super rich. Like, how did she make this life happen for herself? Um, And there's just all of this ambition. There's a lot of stuff about female friendships in it. And, you know, the dudes, all of the dudes that she marries, um, who all die. And so for like, when I picked up this book, I was like, oh, is this going to end up being a thing where she's killed them all? <laughs> that's not it. That's not it. Uh, uh, so if you're looking for like a Black Widow story, that's not what's happening. Um, but in the center of the story, you probably, I don't know. I, I don't want to spoil it just in case you've like managed to avoid reviews for this book. Um, but she has a big secret. She's got a big secret. Um, and her marriages have kind of been used to cover this big secret that she's carried with her her whole life. Um, and then of course, I say, of course, because like you kind of expect it going in, you realize that she's got connections to this nobody reporter, um, that you probably were not expecting. So it's just really engaging and like fascinating. It's really well written. Um, having Monique is a, such a believable narrator because she's like so confounded by being chosen to interview this person and her nervousness around being somebody super famous is just very hashtag relatable. It's just great. So that's the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. 
Nice. Um, before we do our next sponsor, I realized I forgot to give trigger warnings for the psychology of time travel. So those are self-harm, suicidal ideation, and eating disorders. My bad. Um, okay. So our next sponsor is Dreamscape, which is an audiobooks company, and Nancy Nagel's The Secret Ingredient, which is narrated by Carissa Vicker and is now available for free with your library card on Hoopla Digital. Uh, Dreamscape Media, as I said, is an audiobook publishing company, and they are working with Hallmark Publishing to bring over 20 Hallmark titles to life this year. And the secret ingredient features a Valentine's Day bake-off, where Kelly and Andrew, after years apart, rekindle their romance and find that their past is part of them still. I do love a good foodie Mm -hmm. romance, not going to lie. And each Hallmark audiobook comes with a sweet recipe at the end based on the story, as well as a happily ever after, as you might expect. Um, so this is a very audiobook sponsored show. Very nice. Very nice. Um, so if you are interested in happily ever afters and audiobooks and reading all of or listening rather to those audiobooks for free, you will definitely want to check this out. Um, and yeah, as I said, this is a collaboration between Dreamscape Media and Hallmark Publishing. So there's going to be more where that came from. And again, that is The Secret Ingredient by Nancy Nagel, narrated by Carissa Vacker, and you can get it for free with your library card on Hoopla Digital. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, question five is from Donna, who says, my sister-in-law and I are going to celebrate our birthdays next summer by taking a literary-themed trip to England. We plan to visit the homes and inspirational settings of our favorite female authors, especially Jane Austen, the Brontes, and Daphne du Maurier. Besides rereading their novels, we would like to read travelogues or fictional books that highlight regions in England, these regions in England. We anticipate traveling throughout Cornwall, Hampshire, Bath, and Yorkshire, and possibly Hay on Wye in Wales, because who can resist a town famous for its bookshops? It's a good point. It's a good point. Okay, um, I am going to keep going. I picked Notes from a Small Island by Bill Bryson because I love Bill Bryson so much. <laughs> He's just the best. Um, Bill Bryson is an American, and this is a travelogue. Um, about him like taking a jaunt around Britain. He lived in England for 20 years before he returned to the US. And upon deciding when him and his wife decided they were going to move back to the States, um, he decided that he wanted to go on this like big farewell tour, basically, of Britain and write, you know, write a book about some of the best and quirkiest aspects of the island. Um, and so that's what he does. He goes on this like jaunt. If you've read a walk in the woods, it's like a walk in the woods, except in not in the forest. It's in the UK. Um, and so he is very much like um, focused, not focusing, but highlighting some of the more eccentric stuff that you could stumble upon when you're traveling around Britain. Um, and he visit he the tour is really extensive. Like he walks throughout the whole country. So he's he does hit some of the places that you're going to. It's not all of them, but he does hit some of them. And then all of this other stuff you can consider kind of a bonus. And, but the reason why I like this so much and Bill Bryson in general is that he is extremely cranky um, and s- smug in this like really self-aware kind of way. So like while he's poking a little bit of gentle fun at the weirder aspect, well, weirder quotes, weirder aspects of Britain, you can tell that he genuinely like really loves this country. Like, this, this country being Britain, not the U.S. Maybe he loves the U.S., I don't know. Um, but this, like, affection, this, like, it's kind of the thing where you can make fun of your family, but if someone else makes fun of your family, you want to punch them, that sort of thing. Like, that's the vibe that I get from this book. It's like, he loves Britain so much and wants to just show you some of the more endearing aspects of the country while at the same time 
allowing himself to poke a little bit of fun at it. Um, so I don't know. It's like it's informative, but also has that you know Brysony kind of old man crankiness to it that I personally appreciate so deeply. <laughs> so that's Notes from a Small <laughs> Island by Bill Bryson. <laughs> Why does he walk everywhere? This is the thing that I feel like I need to meet him. And be like, Have you heard of cars? <laughs> <laughs> you can't write a book about driving. I mean, True. I guess you could, but I feel but... like he would have such a, like a nicer time. <laughs> if he just you should be like Bill Bryson. I would like to commission you <laughs> for a book about not walking. Get on places. a train. You know, you're a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. I picked something sort of light and fun for you. I picked Oversea Understone by Susan Cooper, which is the first in the Darkest Rising series. That is one of my personal favorite uh like middle grade fantasy series is um very like narnia harry potter etc so and the first book takes place like entirely in cornwall and so when i saw cornwall i was like oh i know um so it's about these three siblings, the Drew children, who are on holiday in Cornwall and are studying in this like house and they find an old map in the attic and it is the key to finding a grail, which will then help them for like fight the forces of evil. Um, and there is this great sort of uh, friend of the family slash, you know, honorary grandfather figure um, named Miriam Lyon, who's sort of their mentor and like helps send them off on these adventures. And they are just basically like traipsing around this fishing village and the like headlands in Cornwall looking for clues and, you know, dodging like the baddies and, you know, having all of these adventures. And it's so like I haven't read this book in a while, but it is so it's still so fresh in my mind, like what that scenery looks like. And while she uh, Susan Cooper has fictionalized the place where they are, I feel like you could just like it probably it's a very any like fishing village in Cornwall like you could go and be like oh this is just like it um and who knows maybe you'll find a grail while you're <laughs> on your adventures like you never know um so yeah it's fun it's very scenic the setting definitely becomes part of the story and I think it will be just like an enjoyable thing to have in your heads as you're traipsing around so again that's Oversea Understone by Susan Cooper all right, let's see. Our next question is from Kathleen, who says, I just finished The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, and I've got stars in my eyes. I love the way he started with such a racist story and instead of glossing over it, put it center focused and used that as a way to examine the racism of the day and in Lovecraft's work. Do you know of any other sci-fi fantasy or horror retellings that make great social commentary? Welcome, friend, <laughs> to the Victor Laval fan club. Like, I'm, we're so happy Yay. to have you. Isn't he amazing? Come so to good. Bias. Yes, come sit by us. Um, I have a whole short story collection that does this exact thing for you. It is Not So Stories, edited by David Thomas Moore. And this is sort of in response to Kipling's Just So Stories, which is like a quote unquote classic and which people continue to read and love, but which absolutely has all of the racism and colonialism of Kipling's time on display. Um, and so the writers of the stories in this collection are all responsible to those stories but like they're writing from you know the like the colony perspectives um 
And and it's so interesting, the range of stories in this collection, because some of them do have that very, like, I will tell you a folktale of how spider got its legs, like, feel to them, but still are social commentary in that sort of fably way. And then some of them are, like, very, like, much more like Ballad of Black Tom, like, taking a real world moment and, like, finding the magical and the fable in it, but also having very explicit commentary. So there's a, there's different kinds of approaches that these writers have taken. And they're all really interesting and fantastic. Um, And there's so much mythology and folklore coming to light. And there's so much sort of just like story. There's just so many good stories in here, like really, really good. Um, And there's some authors that I had heard of, like Paul Kruger, uh, I had read before, and Cassandra Ka is in here. Um, And then there were a lot of authors that I had not read before. So it's a great way to discover new authors that you might like. Um, And yeah, I think I think you'll really dig it. So again, that's not so stories. It's edited by David Thomas Moore. Okay, I picked The Merry Spinster by Daniel Mallory Ortberg, which is um, retellings of, it's not just fairy tales, there are a few fairy tales, but it's retellings of like folklore and, you know, like Scottish ballads and things like that uh, in order to be a little bit more horrific (laughs) and just like a bit more disturbing. Not all of them are more disturbing than the originals. Original fairy tales and folk folk tales are often like super gruesome and grim and Daniel keeps pretty much like all of that, but updates them to be just as grim and just as like, Oh, if I read these to my children, I will feel bad about it later kind of a thing. Um, But to be about social commentary about modern social issues. Um, So it's not just, you know, cautionary tales to make your kids go to bed on time it's like considering uh social norms that are happening right now so my favorite story in this collection is a retelling of the little mermaid um and the ending of that is the most satisfying ending of a short story ever ever like the original little mermaid in and of itself is pretty gruesome and and hard hard to like stomach but the retelling in the mary spinster is aces and it's just a lot of those not all of the retellings are recognizable um but there is a list of the like you're not gonna read a read it and be like oh this is obviously a retelling of xyz story that you're probably familiar with um or maybe you are maybe you're a folktale expert and it will be fine for you but there is a list of uh works like referenced in the back of the book so you can read the retellings in the mary spencer and then if you want to go like read the originals that they're based on and compare it then that's that's possible and they're also some of the stories are com- like combinations, like retellings of combined folktales or combined um, like classic poems from various cultures. Um, so there's a lot going on here, but it is very much like a modern examination, especially of gender um, and sexuality. Uh, and also it's just like real creepy. So <laughs> I don't know. It's got that Laval. I don't know that I would say it's straight up like horror, like Victor, Victor Laval Albert's horror. Um, and this, these stories are more horrific. And that's a weird distinction but i feel like that's real like i didn't have any nightmares but i also was like Ugh, when i was reading i don't know the velveteen oh that's true the velveteen is <laughs> so scary and awful and gross i mean really good but also <laughs> that's gross. true that's true okay so maybe it depends on your your like tolerance level i guess but yeah so that's the mary spinster <laughs> by daniel mallory ordberg okay last question is from amy who says I just saw The Favorite and loved it. I would like either a nonfiction book about the real Queen Anne, or if that's not possible, a queer historical fiction novel, preferably one that flies under the radar. I've read K.J. Charles, Kat Sebastian, Alan Hollingsworth, and Sarah Waters. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. Um, 
I picked a work of queer historical fiction for you called Confessions of the Fox by Jordi Rosenberg. And I, it just the brainiest book ever. It's so brainy. It is time bendy. So like it takes place both in modern, like modern time and in the 1700s. And in modern times, the main character is Dr. Voth, who is researching the life of Jack Shepard. Oh, and this is a retelling of the Three Penny Opera, Rex Three Penny Opera, if you're familiar with that. So, um, yeah, Dr. Voth is an academic who's researching Jack Shepard, who was an 18th century thief who was like world renowned for, you know, stealing stuff. Um, and in his research, he finds a stack of papers that are called Confessions of the Fox. Um, and dur- while reading it, he realizes that this is um, like a, a collection of letters and, and uh, writings that tell an untold version of the life of Jack Shepard. And so then you are reading, so you're like reading the story about Dr. Voth and his discovery of this manuscript. And then you are also reading the manuscript. So it's very meta. While you're reading the actual manuscript, you're also reading Dr. Voth's footnotes about it. And the manuscript reveals that Jack Shepard was born into servitude um, and isn't like, not an orphan. Um, his parents, if I'm remembering right, his parents like sold him into servitude. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Uh, and Jack is a trans man who falls in love with a sex worker named Bess. And then they do this like Bonnie and Clyde thing where they take over the London underworld in the 1700s and become, you know, like renowned and um, not infamous, not, not famous. What's the opposite of famous? Good job, Amanda. They become infamous. And so you're reading that story and Dr. Voth's annotations of that story and footnotes of that story. And then at the same time, somebody in Dr. Voth's life is, is trying to like bury that manuscript and bury this side of the story. Um, so he's dealing with that too. So it's like an onion. It's very like layers on layers on layers. Um, academic, footnotey, meta. So good. So good. And and like just brainy. I don't know. It scratches that. that If you're the kind of person who really liked writing papers in school, which I was, I feel like this will really scratch that for you. So it's Confessions of the Fox by Jordi Rosenberg. Everybody I know has loved that book. I really need to read it. One of these days. Um, I also, I also loved the favorite. It was so good. If you all have not watched it yet, go immediately. Um, go find it. Uh, so, so I and I was digging around and I discovered that, which I didn't know, that the book that there's a book that this movie is kind of based on. Um, a nonfiction book called Sarah Churchill, Duchess of Marlborough, The Queen's Favorite by Ophelia Field, which they have re-released with a movie co- tie-in cover because of mm-hmm. course they have. Um, and they like switch the title around a little bit, but the one you're looking for is the Ophelia Field book. Um, and this is a biography of Sarah Churchill, as you might guess, who's played by Rachel Weiss in the movie. Um, and I, my library hole did not come in on time, which was really a bummer because I can't, like, I really am excited to read this because I had, I did not know anything about Queen Anne or Sarah Marlborough or that period of British history, like, at all. Um, and so I, w- when I was watching the movie, which is not exactly, like, it is it is not a straightforward historical movie <laughs> at all. It's so much more than that, which is amazing. But I was like, oh, I wonder, I was wondering, like, what is the history behind this? And here it is. Um, and so I haven't gotten to start it yet, but it looks really fascinating. And I was reading some of the reviews and it does appear that, like, if you want that, like, deep dive both into these characters, but also the context of, like, the wars in the Netherlands and, like, are, like all of the things that are sort of going on in the background of them movie like this is going to give you that um one thing i'm unsure about because the reviews were kind of 
like unclear on this point is how it handles the queer factor. Um, there's some like it looks like maybe it's like oh they were not lesbians like and also that word doesn't mean anything in this context because history and then maybe it looks like oh, it does acknowledge the queer stuff in a different way. So unclear, <laughs> unclear how that is handled. So I don't I cannot speak to that angle of it. Um, but I think that this is like if you were as obsessed with the characters in that movie as you seem to be and as I was like this is definitely a good next read for you to get into the history of it. Um, so yeah, again, that is Sarah Churchill, Duchess of Marlborough, The Queen's Favorite by Ophelia Field. And that is our show. Huzzah! Thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. You can find us on social media. I am on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter. It's Jen IRL, and that is Jen with two N's, IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.